Welcome to Pro Bono Pod. I'm Felix, treasurer of the KCL Pro Bono Society, and your host again for our fifth episode, Legal Journeys. Each month, our main committee interviews lawyers, academics, charities, activists, and more, who share their insights on the world of law and charities. Last time you heard from me, our focus was capital punishment in the United States, and we learned how amicus are fighting the death penalty. Since launching our podcast, we've delved into the complex world of legal tech and the issue of climate change. Today, we're taking a step back, all the way to day one. Each of the speakers who have featured on Pro Bono Pod so far had to start somewhere. Once upon a time, they made the decision to go to university, perhaps to study law, and later to pursue their chosen area of law in their careers. Our lives are a series of important decisions, of junctures in the road, dead ends, and false starts. It's not something that we often talk about. But all of us face challenges, we often lack self-confidence, and we struggle to cope with failure. Today, that's where we're shining the spotlight. What does it take to make it in the legal and charitable worlds? I'm joined by two guest speakers with expertise on legal education and careers. Amina Khan is the president of our own legal outreach project, which aims to break down barriers for state school students to study law at university. She's led countless workshops, school visits, and mentorship schemes, all to make legal education more accessible. Hello, my name is Amina Khan, and I'm the president of the Legal Outreach Project. I'm also a final year history student attending King's, and I have aspirations to hopefully qualify as a solicitor. In contrast, our second guest speaker helps students towards the end of their educational journeys. Caroline Lintner is a careers consultant at law school here at King's, with experience in graduate recruitment for leading law firms in London. You might have heard her talk about careers before, as she's also the brilliant host of the podcast Let's Talk Law. Hi, Felix. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. Um, my name is Caroline Lintner, as you said earlier. Um, I'm the law careers consultant for Dixon Poon here at King's been at the uh, career service for about a year now. Prior to that, I spent 20 years working in legal graduate recruitment. Thank you both. Thank you both for being here and giving up some of your time for our students. So, Amina, let's start with you. So, what inspired you to first get involved with the Legal Outreach Project? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, the main reason I was inspired to get involved was because the students that we target as part of Legal Outreach are actually from a very similar background to my own. So, my first interaction with Kings was actually through an outreach program called K+, which I can't recommend highly enough. And I came into the university once a month, attended study skills sessions, as well as found out about the different degrees and careers I can go into. And it was so helpful and it really cemented the fact that I want to pursue law as a career in the future. And I really wanted to give back and legal outreach seemed like the perfect avenue to do so. That's really inspiring. Thank you for sharing this. And I think that it's really great to see that you've actually started thanks to an outreach program and that you're so committed to pursuing this. That shows your determination to support other students. So thank you for sharing that with our audience today. From your experience helping school students apply to university, what are the biggest challenges that they face? 
I think knowing where to begin is the biggest challenge because there's so much information available on higher education and university in general, perhaps too much, that it can be a bit overwhelming and daunting to really know where to begin and how to navigate the application process. And I think to combat this is by starting early. So there's specific A-levels that sometimes students need to take for specific careers. So the latter years of secondary school, I would say, is where you should really start thinking about university and what career you want to pursue in your future. And it's really important as well to make sure that you're asking for support. So there are a range of support networks available, such as Target Oxbridge or university outreach programmes, as I mentioned before, as well as mentoring schemes that students are able to access. And I would recommend them to do so because it makes the whole process a lot easier. Thank you for outlining those challenges. So I guess the question now that I'm going to ask you is, how does actually Legal Outreach Project help to support students facing those challenges and further upon it, what strategies do you use to actually bridge the gap between school and university? Definitely. So it would make sense for me to provide an outline of exactly what we do. We provide support to underrepresented students who want to study law in the future or perhaps want to pursue a legal career. And we do this in loads and loads of different ways. So firstly, we provide bespoke workshops and presentations to students who are interested in studying law and attending university. So these focus exactly on what a law degree is, as well as legal careers and the application process. And we also integrate a student Q&A at the end as well. So prospective students can ask current students about their journey into the law and what they're currently experiencing. We also have an online mentoring scheme. So current King students are matched with prospective students at our partner schools. And these prospective students are able to ask questions about higher education, careers, application tips and advice. And we hope that this is supplementary to the workshops so students can ask more in-depth questions. And then we've also created a work experience document pack that we do update every single year. And this is distributed amongst our partner schools so students can actually experience the legal sector to find out whether it's right for them. Thank you also for outlining the fact that actually students themselves are also involved and sharing this with other students. Mm-hmm. So it's really it's really fascinating to see your impact and the all the the positive impact that you actually have on those school students who actually want to come to university to study law. So getting into university is not the end of the story. At school, you focus on getting offers from universities and achieving your grade requirements, and that's often where the support stops. But university is where the hard work begins. What challenges do students actually face during their degrees? Oh. How long is a piece of string, right? I could go on and on about the challenges that students face. But to me personally, the two that really stand out are navigating the move from school into higher education because it's so vastly different. University is incredibly independent. I remember actually one of my school teachers, he said to the whole classes, he said that 
it would be a shock once we actually got into university because we're so spoon-fed at school, which I can really relate to now that we're at university because at school you always have someone at your back telling you to do your homework or your coursework or to begin your personal statement. But once you get into university, you don't really have that. It's up to you to make sure that you're completing everything on time. And following on from that, you do really have to grow up overnight and become organised and structure your time to meet your academic goals and your deadlines. And secondly, I think imposter syndrome is a really big challenge that many students face whilst in university. Thank you for sharing it. And I think that I can actually relate to this coming from like a French school background with yeah. the structure. As I'm a student now and I'm in my second year and I experienced first year during COVID, that was even, I think, harder to actually getting motivation to work. And I think motivation is obviously another point that we could highlight in terms of the personal work that you have to do, like preparing for tutorials is not something that you're told, told to do. Like you yeah. have to do it yourself. You uh, have to push yourself constantly. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Actually, speaking about my first year during COVID, what advice would you give to first-year students at the beginning of their university journeys? And is there anything that you wish you'd known before joining Kings? So I think to incoming first-year students, I would say do your research. It will make life so much easier once you actually start university because you'll be able to hit the ground running in a sense. And I guess find out what support networks are out there as well, because as I mentioned, university is incredibly independent, but there is support available if you know where to look for it. So whether that's through your counselling service or your personal tutor or an academic that you really get along with, I would advise students to ask for support when they need it because university is hard and um, studying for a degree is really hard and when you couple that with searching for a job it can get even more difficult and draining so don't be afraid to ask for support when you need it. Yeah and I think that also seeing that you're willing to give that support and that students who actually start getting that support at school can still get that support at uni is really important. I think the key focus in what you're saying is reach out if you need it, there is support out there and the fact that you're also transmitting that message to students who are volunteering with the legal project is, again, I think really interesting because that means that there's going to be even more support for more people out there to feel that they're listened and if they have any issues, they can reach out to the people who are willing to help. Actually, you mentioned imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. What do you know about it and why do we experience it as students and what actually can students do about it? Mm -hmm. This is actually a subject that is really personal to me because not not many people know this, but I actually started off my um, journey at King's studying a law degree and I actually experienced quite bad imposter syndrome. I didn't ask for support and it eventually led to me withdrawing from the course, even though I knew I wanted to pursue a legal career and I was enjoying my law degree. So that's why there was a very big emphasis on the personal support network works. But basically, to sum it up, it's the belief that you're not as competent as others perceive you, I guess. So in a university setting, it's about comparing yourself to your peers and feeling like you got in on a fluke and you don't really belong there. And from my experience, many first generation students do experience this because 
they don't recognise the feeling, they don't have anyone to talk about it to. And eventually it can lead to quite poor mental health, which it did in my case. I think the main reason it's caused is because of that comparison element. So you compare yourself constantly to your peers and it can cause a really negative internal experience. You begin to self-doubt yourself, which can be really daunting. But I guess the simplest solution is to stop the comparing element. And I know it's easier said than done, but once you stop comparing yourself to others and focus on the skills that you do have, your confidence really will soar and it will allow you to pursue certain avenues that you didn't even know existed. Thank you for highlighting that and also sharing your own personal experience and being brave to talk about it will help so many students get the support they need and thank you for sharing that. So we'll now move on to Caroline. So while Amina helps students enter the world of law, Caroline supports students with their next steps. The careers and employability team here at King's offers a wide range of resources, such as one-to-one career appointments, interview workshops, and the online platform Careers Connect, where students can find internship opportunities. However, students face a huge amount of pressure from deciding what they want to do in the first place to writing competitive applications. Caroline, what advice would you give to a student who doesn't know what they want to do? First of all, I'd say it's a very human feeling and reaction to have. Lots of people feel this way. They may not admit it to their friends and family or indeed to themselves. But we do see a lot of people who come to us because they're just not sure what direction to go in. I would encourage students to think about their interests, to identify their strengths. And often that can be by having a conversation with a careers consultant. We also have lots of online resources that help people to to think about and consider what they are good at and what energises them, what motivates them. So it could be something to do with your course. It could be a particular subject you're really enjoying and you're thinking, I can't imagine not doing more of this going forward. Or it could be you think, I, I really want to work with lots of people and I need to be in a position where I can use my communication skills and a, a certain jobs will lend themselves more to that than others. Many students that we see start off on that point trying to work out what it is they think they're going to enjoy doing. And then it's up to us to help them to sort of signpost and encourage people to do their research. You know, we can't do it for them. And that's where podcasts come in. That's where these sorts of, um, you know, initiatives that you guys are doing today are helpful. That's where reading resources on Keats are helpful and, and talking to people. Do reach out with that support that you quite rightly said is there in abundance, actually. By no means you shouldn't feel that you failed because maybe you're not as clear in your career path as your best friend or someone else in your course. And the other thing to mention is that careers are not linear. Um, when I look at my career, I have touched upon so many different areas of specialism and it's taken me in so many different directions. And that's not what I started out doing all those years ago. Yeah, thank you. And I think that what's really interesting with this first question is that the topics we covered with Amina, we're actually touching on the same points, reaching out for support, and also not having the fear of being judged by others, by your peers. It's really interesting to have both of the perspective from like the start to the end of people's educational journeys. So thank you for sharing that. And being open-minded is really important as well. The world is a very big place. Careers are very varied. And even if you go down a more traditional route, it doesn't mean to say you're going to stay in that route forever. So there is a lot out there for people to 
explore. So we encourage people to explore and enjoy the exploring side of it. Thank you. Yeah. So legal careers are highly competitive with most students submitting 10, 20 or even more applications before securing graduate positions. What can students do to cope with failure? Yeah, it's a great question, Felix. Thank you for asking it. First thing to say is legal careers have always been competitive and I've been worked within the legal sector for over 20 years now. It's always been competitive. Some people do take more than one occasion, one assessment round to get training contracts. Others, you know, fly through it. Somebody reminded me a few weeks ago that the great thing about the legal sector is that they pretty much every year offer the same number of opportunities. So it's not like it's a, if you don't apply this year, you're never going to get anything. And I thought that was a really good way of looking at it. Again, support networks are really important. Failure is part of life. It sounds really harsh, but it's true. And I think particularly students who are at a university like King's, where they have done very well at school and they are high caliber individuals entering into the job market, there is less certainty there are factors beyond their control that they can't sort of influence, like the economy and other things that are going on. And sometimes it's the first time they failed, actually. And that's really important to just sit with that point and recognise it. I remember the first time I didn't get a job offer of an interview, I was devastated. But I've had several more opportunities where that hasn't happened again. But guess what? I've had chances where people have offered me jobs. So that is part of life. Rejection is redirection. Somebody told me that the other day and I thought it was a brilliant way of looking at it. The other thing I'd say is keep in your own lane. Trust me, you'll never know quite how much effort someone else is putting into something because you're not there doing it. This is your career. You have to own it. And guess what? You're the only one that can get a job for yourself. So it's, I think, acknowledging that you may not fly through. And we know many students feel very dejected. And that imposter syndrome that, I, that you've been talking about is a very real thing. But sometimes it takes talking to someone more neutrally. Again, it could be someone in careers. It could be a mentor. It could be a personal tutor. Best to keep talking rather than to let it fester because that's where, you know, things go wrong. I would also encourage people to not put 10 or 20 applications in. I think that's far too many because I know from the other side what a recruiter's looking for and you need to put in a lot of effort with an application form and I'd question how are you going to have time to do well in your degree at the same time. So I know some people do put a lot of application forms in and it seems to work for them but nine times out of ten applications that I've seen that are quite generic, it doesn't surprise me that they, that person hasn't got through for interview. So that in itself, again, is a discipline. Which firms would I want to apply to if I have the time? Which ones do I actually have the time to apply to? Yeah, thank you for flagging the, that as well. And I think that I know it may sound a bit cliche, but can we say it's more about the quality than the it quantity? Is. Absolutely. And the other thing I'd say about legal careers, and it may seem like it this isn't the case because there, there are lots of opportunities out there for vacation schemes and training contracts. But for someone who's been on the other side, partnership are a unique in terms of business structure. The partners, the, the firms I've worked at take recruitment phenomenally seriously. It's a very personal decision. So therefore, they are going to be very picky and choosy and they're going to expect a high standard. Many partners I've worked with over the years have talked about partnership is about being a custodian for the firm whilst you're a partner so you're getting it ready to pass on to the next generation if people want to become partners it's not about them owning that firm it's about bringing talent in to continue the firm's success and growth so 
they get genuinely interested and excited about bringing talent in. So it isn't just about you have to do this to get to this next stage. At some point, you're going to need to sit opposite someone and persuade them to offer you a job. And again, that's where we can support and provide um, practice interviews, etc. But it's trying to not look at it as a cookie cutter process, I guess, is what I'm saying. Thank you for touching upon those elements really clearly. I think it's really important that we share that failure is not a taboo. and It's not. It's part of life. It is. And actually touching upon the way it's pursued as a taboo subject in, in uni, I guess that as all my peers when I arrived, I actually entered a world where failure is not really present and that's LinkedIn, where success is often shared and leaving, I guess, certain students feeling really bad and that's where all the comparison comes in so LinkedIn has become like a really important platform to display achievements but also to find interesting work opportunities and even more so how can students cope with actually seeing those successful job updates constantly and even more with like vacation scheme season and receiving an offer yeah and that's something that's changed a lot, hasn't it? Even in the last 12 months, I've noticed that. You know, I say it's from my personal perspective, where I've seen things on LinkedIn that have made me feel less, less than I feel I should. I've unfollowed that person. I haven't broken that connection with them, but I've unfollowed that person. So people can do that. They can unfollow their friends. <laughs> they don't have to. They don't have to engage in this media. And I know that's easier said than done. So again, I think this is a general point about social media. Be disciplined about what you're checking in on and when LinkedIn is it's a very it's a professional platform it's important to treat it as such and the other thing I'd say is you will never hear about the rejections it's usually I've got an offer so don't assume again that you're seeing the whole picture you can't stop people putting updates on their LinkedIn but you can choose to decide to whether or not to engage with it. And again, I've seen some students over the last few months who have decided, for example, they don't want to go into commercial law, but they're feeling a bit of pressure. Everyone going for vacation schemes and attending events through external platforms and King's platforms. And they're getting lots of emails from these external parties. So I, my courage to them is, well, unsubscribe. It's about trying to work out what's going to make you stressed <laughs> and what you're willing to be stressed about. And if there's a way of reducing that stress, try and do it. So I guess we can say that managing the way you use it is actually a question of mental health and well-being. I think students. it is, yeah. And LinkedIn has become more personalised than I think it ever was intended to at the beginning. And that I'm, I think that's great. But if you find that somebody's updates are draining you, unfollow them. Yeah, that's interesting to hear that discipline is also at law school to be motivated, but it's also actually using social media the correct way. And thank you for sharing your own personal experiences. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So now we've covered the failure, I guess we also need to share to students what they can to recover from it. So what do successful students do to stand out in their applications and interviews and how do they actually set themselves apart from others? Yeah, I've got to use the word authenticity here. It seems to be a word I'm using a lot at the moment. <laughs> they are themselves as much as you should be in a professional, serious process. So what do I mean by that? Well, they're not afraid to talk about things that aren't on the face of it connected to becoming a lawyer, for example. You know, they talk about what they've done at university, what interests them, 
and they recognise that's incredibly valuable. They take their time to decide what firms they have the time to apply to. Law firms, and actually I'd say all recruiters, they don't recruit robots. They don't want everyone to be the same. They want people to show their personality, to try and bring something different. Diversity and inclusion is incredibly important, quite rightly so, and it's never been more important within the legal sector. So it's important to recognise, again, that personalised process. You're being recruited by an organisation that is hiring people to use their brain power. This is a people business. And that's really important. And the successful students get that. I do really encourage students to try and be themselves in an interview. And some look really panicked when I say that to them uh, because they think it's going to be unprofessional. But actually, far from it, partners I've worked with over the years, they love it when students talk about the time they worked on a building site or in a restaurant or in a supermarket. Because guess what? Clients are real people. They're challenging. You gain a lot. You learn a lot about yourself from those types of roles in a way that you're never going to learn necessarily in an office environment. You will be taught by any profession you go into how to do the job technically well. What they can't teach you is your enthusiasm, your genuine interest in their profession and those softer skills. They need to see some aptitude. Again, they can teach you how to be a better communicator. They can teach you how to present effectively, but they need to have an aptitude to show that you are so far along the line already that they've got something to work with and they can help and develop you. But you're going to bring something different to the table. So for me, that's what I see. And some of the best applications I've seen over the years are people who actually don't necessarily talk about something the firm has done from a case. They've spoken about something completely different and they've just looked at it in a very different way and they stand out for that reason. I think that what's really interesting is that you, so you mentioned authenticity as the key word. So I think that what students can actually retain from this is that they have to be themselves at the end of the day. They, they, they do. And as someone who's read thousands of applications over the years <laughs> and spent many weekends re reviewing applications, you're looking for something a bit different because there's only so much work you can do on a vacation scheme whilst you're still at university. You're not a qualified lawyer. They can't charge you out to clients. You're learning about the organisation on a vacation scheme and you're observing, which is very important and a part of learning. But they want to know a bit more about what you're going to bring to the organisation and what makes you different. And that's incredibly important. Thank you for sharing that. And so I guess expanding even further on the importance of being yourself and authenticity, I'd say that, and I, and I can actually see this as a student at the Dixon Prince School of Law, that students can feel pressured to go just through the commercial law process. So what actually are the opportunities out there for graduates and where should actually students look out uh, for other options? Yeah, this is the best bit of my job, I think. I'm learning so much about non-commercial routes and actually learning more about what our amazing alumni have gone on to do, which is the main reason we set up the podcast, Let's Talk Law, that you, you mentioned in your introduction, because we knew that there were students out there who had gone on from Dixon Poon and forged really fantastic, successful careers in different things. So yes, commercial law, as a, a commercial solicitor or barrister, many of our students go into that. Of course, the bar is a very different route and it suits people in, for different reasons. But the bar itself is incredibly diverse. Um, it's OK if you're really interested in that. Of course it is. And there are lots of organisations that come to King's because they want to recruit King's students. But I would encourage students, and I do encourage students, just because you haven't heard of a firm before, 
don't assume they're not any good. Don't assume that they're not going to give you great training. And I have heard that from students saying, well, they're a tier two firm. And I'm like, well, what is a tier two firm? Actually, they're a fantastic organisation. Why don't you have a look at them? If you're really interested in a particularly niche area of law, going to a boutique firm may be the best bet for you as opposed to training at a large international firm that, yes, you'll get great training, but you'll get great training at that other firm as well. The other thing to say in the legal sector, people move around a lot more than they ever used to. That's not going to change. The people move about. So you might end up at your top firm of choice that you think is your top firm of choice later on in your career. I've worked at four international law firms in my career. and I never thought I'd end up working for even one. So that's someone who's not a lawyer. Legal sector itself is diversifying. Legal tech, automation, efficiencies, business operations. So there's a whole range of firms offering graduate schemes in those areas. Risk and compliance is a massive growing area of law. Lots of law firms take people in to do that, but there'll be other departments in other organisations who will value the skills that a law graduate can bring. And then we get students going into accounting, banking, finance, government, policy. I mean, it's so broad and that's what we're trying to bring to the Dixon Poon students a little bit more at King's. King's students can sign up for any event that careers and employability put on. And it also goes beyond when they're actually at university. So all King's students, regardless of their degree and whether they're doing an undergrad or postgrad, can access the careers team for up to two years after graduating. And many do. So they can continue to come to our events. And that's been the great thing about the online world has actually provided more access for students who are still job hunting beyond university. So, again, I said at the beginning, exploring and being broad and being honest with yourself. Thank you for sharing that as well. I think and I know I'm going to say this again, but support, support, support is out there. Students need to know it. And through this podcast, I hope that it will actually break the barrier. And I remember that. When I joined law school, I was reading like articles about how to adapt. And many of these articles actually touch on, upon the fact that law students have the fear of actually asking for support because they fear that they, they're going to be seen as actually being students who fail. It's a common theme amongst lawyers. And I, this is well documented. It's just not me saying it. It's well researched uh, of, of fear. It's, it, it is a trend. <laughs> it's a trait, rather. It does have one of the highest rates of poor mental health. I mean, that's that's not new. It hasn't changed. It probably has got a bit worse because of COVID, but the legal sector is now doing a lot more to support its people, which is great and important that students know that. So again, being honest with yourself, what, where are you going to flourish? And guess what? If it isn't in the commercial law world, it might be something completely different, then that's okay because... You work a lot in your life and you spend most of your time at work, actually. So you do need to try and find something you're going to really enjoy. And and that environmental part of it, the cultural element, which is so important, is is as important to or sometimes more important than what you actually do in your job day to day. Thank you for highlighting this. And I think that now it's time to open to a group discussion and Amina and Caroline as we have seen have helped students at different stages of their academic and career journeys but as we've seen they often encounter the same challenges young people often lack confidence and doubt themselves and this doesn't change with success once you make it to university or even when you secure a graduate job 
Along the way, it can help to have positive role models, seeing others who have made it, perhaps coming from similar backgrounds to us, can inspire us to keep going, especially when we face rejections. It proves us that our career dreams are possible. Amina and Caroline, do you think that having role models is important and what can we learn from those who have made it in our chosen career paths? I think role models are very, very important. And we've seen that in recent years where you've got underrepresented groups of students coming into a profession so let's take black and minority ethnic students. It's, you know, the lack of role models in the legal profession has been an issue and it's changing now, which is fantastic. But when I was recruiting, I was very well aware of how important it was for students to to see people ahead of them who had forged that career and they had something that they could identify with. And it was the same, you know, there's many, many more women in law now, students see female partners and be very inspired with them and be mentored by them and they have been very important relationships to them so role models are important I, what I would say is they sometimes come in an unusual way that you, to you you may not think that someone who's going to be your role model ends up being your role model and what do I mean by that well you may be particularly uh, interested in a trait that they have or a way that they conduct themselves and so my professional role models have I don't think I ever thought oh they're going to be my role model but something happens along the way or you have a conversation with them and they can end up inspiring you and actually in my case I've had I've been very fortunate to have some wonderful mentors who've helped me throughout my career. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a specific role model as such but I am notoriously known to be scrolling through LinkedIn whenever I have a spare moment but um, whenever I see someone succeed in their chosen career field whether it be education or tech or finance or law from a background very similar to my own so a first generation ethnic minority that's what really motivates me and inspires me because I know the certain challenges and trials and tribulations that they've faced and overcome so that's what I find really inspiring thank you for sharing that and i see that there's also like open-mindedness what you're saying is that you're really open-minded to everyone mm -hmm. and i think that that's a good aspect of linkedin in the sense that people can actually share their personal very personal stories like the pandemic has affected many workers around the world and seeing people bounce back and actually sharing that they've been able to bounce back even though the pandemic was hitting everyone is truly inspiring and the fact that you can actually take this into account is actually really, really interesting and thank you for sharing it today. As I mentioned before, I've had a few people who've mentored me and they have been usually senior women in the organisations I've worked for and some of them have been my, my managers as well. The common denominator for all of them is that they're honest. Honest about their own struggles but also have encouraged me to go beyond what I thought were my capabilities. So they've nurtured me and they've been, I've been, they've been honest with me. People who don't inspire me or perhaps I've been turned away from is because they play the game a little bit. And again, it goes back to authenticity. That's important to me. And the older I've got, the more I realise how important my values were. So it is a good piece of work to put in sooner rather than later. It took me a while, by the way. And a lot of students I know are very driven by, does this organisation meet the values that I'm very, very wedded to? So yes, I think people who are honest, who've got integrity and people who 
you know, hardworking and willing also to give back to other people. So there's an element of being humble, I think, as well, recognising that there's a responsibility the more senior you get to bring on uh, other people. But we see that with our alumni at King's. Many of them mentor through King's Connect. Many of them come and get involved with, um, you know, careers events and student societies. And they're doing that because they want to give back. And those role models are very, very important. Yeah, again, I think it's really interesting to see how determined students are to support others. And we see that from your perspective, Amina, with the Legal Outreach Project and your perspective, Caroline, seeing that come back together is a really powerful thing. And again, students need to know that there is a community out there and they need to reach out if they need help. I think also a role model, people who don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Mm. And that's very important. And we've seen that a lot with mental health. So it's all very well saying my organisation is focused on supporting people with mental health and well-being. Well, some of the organisations that I think deserve huge round of applause, and they're by no means um, perfect, is when someone very senior has come out and said, look, this has happened to me, or I'm taking a sabbatical, or I, I'm not coping very well, or I've decided to step down. That's not failure, that's strength. And I hope the legal sector starts to open up a little bit more like that, because I actually think your generation of students are going to demand it, mm. particularly with what's been happening the last two years. I agree. And I think that very recently I've, I've actually opened up about my personal uh, mental health on LinkedIn because I think it's really important that students know that it's normal to feel barriers. And I've been impacted personally about COVID. And I think opening up about subjects, uh, finally very exposed because everyone can read your story. I think that that's really important. And if even one person can get something out from it and actually speak up, well, I'm, I'll am i be like the happiest person on earth, if I can say, because speaking with people is the best way to break the taboo. And I think that, as you said, our generation is even more impacted. And I'm repeating myself, but support, support, support. Yeah. Yeah. I actually read an article that more and more people are actually leaving the legal industry post-qualification. And I, I think that could be down to poor mental health and being burnt out. So bringing this issue up and talking about it will be helpful, I'm yeah. sure. Agreed. So moving on forward. So obviously we're the pro bono society, so pro bono work is really important to us. And as we've seen, the legal and charitable sectors are intertwined and lawyers are doing more pro bono work than ever. So what benefits do lawyers get from volunteering, Kyline? Would you like to start on that point? Oh, I think they get so much, you know, for Kings, for example, in the legal clinic, which is, by the way, a fantastic thing to put on your CV if you've done it. And don't just think it's something to just say, I've done it. Think about what you've learned from it. There's so many transferable skills that are going to really help you in an interview. And, you know, you're accessing lawyers if you're doing that. You're talking, to, you're often working with other lawyers. I think also, you know, you think if you're in a busy profession like law, having the opportunity to break even for a two hours in your week to do something very different actually gives you a great sense of well-being that's important from a professional and personal perspective uh, and it's obviously important to say it's not just the lawyers that do it in law firms it's the professional services staff as well law firms will do reading programs for local schools they'll go and work at food banks there's so much stuff that goes on I think there's just a great deal to be had about how you feel about yourself but also giving back 
and recognising you have had great opportunities and others are going to really benefit from your expertise and your time. I think most lawyers I've known over the years, it's innate in them almost to give back. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing it. And I think that highlights what I see as a student with firms actually promoting how they actually committed to sparing some of their time to pro bono work. It's certainly firms I've worked at, they've had um, their trainees and some of them have mandated that they they go uh, so many hours a week to legal advice clinics to help them build up their softer skills, their client interviewing skills. We want you to do this because we know it's going to help you. Whereas if you're on a big transaction with many, many other people, you may not get the opportunity to have that one-to-one contact with a client. So there are different things that firms do in different ways. And many law firms these days have employee um, networks as well, whether that's for mental health or LGBT+. plus. You know, whatever it is, people get involved and, and give back to the organisation and the ethos of that organisation as well. And that's a very important part of feeling that you belong to an organisation, that you can be yourself. Again, it comes back to the authenticity point. And that's a lot of reason why people do end up applying to certain organisations. But pro bono is very important to law firms. It's it's what they should be doing. Uh, they're in a privileged position to do it. And I think it's also something that if it does, if you're attracted to an organisation about it, fantastic. But, you know, pro bono is on top of the legal work that you're doing for your clients. You know, you're, you're not being paid to do pro bono work day in, day out. It's going to be something you're doing in addition to your day job. So that's important. And I say that because if you're asked for three reasons on a form application form to say, why do you want to work for this firm? I'd encourage you not to put pro bono as the top reason. And the reason for that is because that will be read by a partner at some point during the process. And whilst they will no doubt be very supportive of what the firm does on pro bono, your time is charged out to clients who are paying for your legal services. And that's what you're going to be doing most of the time as a solicitor. So I hope that doesn't sound sort of too commercial, but I think it's really important that people recognise that. So don't forget that's going to be just one thing you're doing for them. Amina, as I come to you, as a student who is really passionate about volunteering, and I think that you've actually shown this by sharing your story, how do you think that that volunteering will help you with your career's aspirations of as you move forward from uni? As I mentioned, I really do want to qualify as a solicitor. So legal sector is something that I'm gearing towards. And I think through volunteering, there's so many key transferable skills that you can pick up that will contribute to any sector, if I'm being completely honest. And it also makes you feel good whenever I have workshops with the students or presentations and hearing about their interests, it just makes me feel really happy to sort of see how the new generation is flourishing. So I would really recommend any student to do volunteering whilst at university because um, it's a great initiative and something really nice to put down on your CV. Thank you for sharing it and thank you both. That's it for our fifth episode of Pro Bono Pod. Thank you to our guest speakers for sharing their thoughts and experiences, the main committee for working hard behind the scenes and our studio for making this happen. 